All right, Psalm 18. Psalm 18. This Bible study is called A Journey Through the Psalms, and we're just going through them one at a time. And it's been awesome. I've been with you. I was out uh, a few weeks ago. We had VBS last week. And uh, when I was out, uh, uh, Jason, our missions pastor, uh, taught on Psalm 17. Heard it. He did an incredible job. So I'm grateful for him. And we made it to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And before uh, I pray, I just want to read you a summary of the Psalms, what the Psalms are all about. And it's a great statement to help us understand the book of the Psalms. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. And that's what the Psalms point us to, the greatness of God, the fact that God is worthy of our trust. Uh, no matter what life throws at us, He is able uh, and willing to, to see us through, right? And so because of that, we can trust Him no matter what happens, and we can praise Him in light of who He is and how He uh, endlessly works in our lives. And that's a summary of the psalm. So keep that in mind before we jump into Psalm 18. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this day. This is the day that you have made, and we rejoice and we're glad in it. And Lord, we thank you for this midweek time to step away from, from the busyness of life and just kind of sit in a, Lord, air-conditioned room in comfortable chairs with our Bibles open and take a deep breath and enjoy fellowship and, and, just, and just talk about you from your Word, Lord, uh, Psalm 119 uh, tells us that your word is greater than the riches of gold and silver. God, help us to understand uh, the value, the profit of the word of God. And Lord, use this time to give us a deeper hunger for the word of God and speak to us in a mighty way as you apply the word of God uh, to our hearts by your spirit. And we'll thank you and praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now, Psalm 18 has the distinction of being the longest psalm that we have uh, looked at thus far. I think there are, what, 50 verses in it? Uh, yeah, 50 verses. The longest psalm to this point, I think, has been 20 verses. I think, I think it was Psalm 9. Some of you, I know some of you, oh, go check me on that. If I'm wrong, don't tell me. Uh, but I think it was Psalm 9, about 20 verses. That was the longest psalm that we had up to this point, but uh, Psalm 18 now is the longest psalm. And so we're not going to read all 50 verses. We'll probably uh, touch on most of them as we work through the psalm. I'm going to just start with the first three verses to kind of set the stage. And I want to start with that little description of what this psalm is about. In the small letters there, right before verse 1, there's a, a description here of the context of this psalm. And by the way, this is I think the second longest descriptor that you see concerning a psalm in the book of Psalms. So look what it says there. To the choir master, a psalm of David, so we know David wrote it, a servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Look in verse 3. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Uh, those are the first three verses of a long psalm. So you see there, I've given you a little title by the designation of Psalm 18, Victory. I want to talk to you about victory. This psalm of praise and victory was written and sung after the Lord had made David king of all Israel and gave him victory uh, over all of his enemies. And we know kind of the, the time period that this psalm 
comes from because there is a chapter that's almost exactly the same as this psalm in the history books. It's over in 2 Samuel chapter 22. So just turn there with me very quickly. Hold your place, but turn to 2 Samuel 22. I want to show you the historical context here. 2 Samuel 22. It says, David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. Does that sound familiar? My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. We just read that. And I am saved from my enemies. So almost the exact same uh, psalm, uh, almost word for word, is included here in Psalm 22. And if you look at the context here, this is near the end of David's life. This is David celebrating God's deliverance, not just from Saul. It mentions Saul there in verse 1, and it mentions Saul over in uh, Psalm 18. But his deliverance from all of his enemies. And just kind of to summarize, during David's life, he had deliverance by God from three major enemies. The first was Saul. You remember the story that when God anointed David by the hand of Samuel to be the next king of Israel because Saul had rebelled against God, Saul became greatly jealous of David and tried to kill him for a long time. For years, he was chasing David, trying to kill him. And so David spent the first few years after his anointing to be the king, running for his life. But God eventually... Uh, overthrew Saul and raised up David, and so God uh, delivered David from the hand of Saul. That's one major deliverance. Another major deliverance are the enemies of Israel, mostly the Philistines. If you read through Second Samuel, you'll see the different nations that David was always uh, who David always seemed to be fighting with, mainly the Philistines, and God gave him uh, victory over the Philistines and over Israel's enemies. Uh, third major deliverance. Uh, was from his traitorous son, Absalom. If you remember the story, Absalom, his son, um, turned on David, tried to usurp the kingdom, and David had to flee for his life, but God worked in all of that and overthrew Absalom and and brought David back to Jerusalem where David reigned as king until his death. And so those were three major times in his life where David experienced the great deliverance from the hand of God. Uh, so that's the context. That's what Psalm 18 is all about. Now, listen to what John Calvin, John Calvin, a theologian from the 1500s, John Calvin says this about this psalm. We ought carefully to mark, and this is interesting, we ought carefully to mark the particular time when this psalm was composed, as it shows us that David, when his affairs were brought to a state of peace and prosperity, was not intoxicated with extravagant joy like irreligious men, who, when they have obtained deliverance from their calamity, shake off from their minds the remembrance of God's benefits. And so John Calvin here is saying we ought to notice that David is is writing this psalm of praise to God in the midst of great victory. Now, a lot of the psalms are written in the midst of hardship. And we talk a lot about how you respond in hardship. And we ought to talk a lot about that because life is hard. Can I get an amen? 
Life's hard, right? I mean, life is full of hardships and difficulties. And so the Bible gives us great insight into how you face tribulations and trials and your perspective and how you keep moving forward and all of that. So we ought to talk a lot about trials and tribulations. The Psalms talk a lot about trials and tribulations. But this Psalm talks about how you ought to respond to God when things are good, when you have victory. How do you relate with God when things are going great? John Calvin here says, irreligious men, you know, when they're going through a tough time, they say, God, if you just get me out of this, if you just help me out, I'll be, I'll be faithful to you. And then God delivers them. They get out of the mess, and guess what? They forget about God, don't they? They turn their back and forget about the promises and vows they made to God. That's not what David does. David, in this moment of victory, in this moment of blessing, instead of saying, boy, Things are great. Life is good. I don't need God. He, his heart overflows and wells up with praise and worship and dependence upon God. And so this psalm is really instructive because it teaches us how we ought to handle victories. Now listen to this statement. This is in your notes. This is key. This kind of is going to guide our entire time together tonight. How you handle successes, how you handle successes says as much about your Christian life, if not more, than how you handle hardship. How you handle successes, spiritually speaking, says as much about your spiritual life, your Christian life, if not more, than how you handle hardship. When things are hard, of course we're praying, aren't we? (laughs) When times are hard, of course we're seeking God. But how, how is your relationship with God when the sun's shining? When you're on the mountaintop, when there's money in your bank account, when, when things are going good on the job, when your sons are walking with Jesus instead of running from Jesus, things are good. How do you relate with God in those moments? That's a, a great question to ask. And Psalm 18 shows us how David responds in the midst of success. How David responds when everything's going great. How David responds when God has given him great victories. I want to show you that and unpack that as we walk through this psalm. So seven ways, we're going to see seven ways that David responded to victory. Seven ways David responded to victory. So you ready? Okay, that's encouraging. All right. Well, for you three that are ready, here we go. All right. Number one. Victory fueled his praise. Victory fueled his praise. Instead of saying, hey, life is good. I don't need the Lord right now. I'm going to just do my thing. David does the exact opposite. In the midst of victory and success, David's heart wells up. David's heart overflows with praise and worship. We know this because this psalm opens and closes. Uh, Theologians call it inclusio. Um, opens and closes with doxology. So the beginning of the psalm is doxology. The, the end of the psalm is doxology. Look what it says there in verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. More on that in a few moments. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's just, he's just rehearsing who God is to him. I call upon the Lord, speaking of prayer, we'll talk about that some more in a moment, who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. So in this psalm, David is recognizing God is worthy of worship and praise. He's calling the people to worship and praise. Then look at the end of the psalm. Look in verse 46. Look how he closes it. 
The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. What's David doing? He's worshiping, isn't he? He's worshiping God. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So the psalm begins with praise. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. It ends with praise. Uh, The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Exalted be the God of my salvation. I have a quick word about praise here based on these last four verses. This is just kind of extra information, okay? But notice that when he begins this final doxology, he's talking about God in verses 46 through 47. But in verse 48, he starts to talk to God. I think that's important. I think in our praise and worship, there are times when you talk about God to each other, just praising, extolling who God is and what God has done. And there are times in our worship we need to talk directly to God and, 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 and praise Him directly. And He does that here. And so we see that this psalm opens and closes with the doxology. Success, victory, cause, David to praise God. Not, not kind of this tip of the cap. You know, I, I was really into the NBA Finals this year. And uh, I was hoping to see LeBron bring a championship to Cleveland, which he did. Game 7 was awesome. Uh, I, like, I like the Warriors too, but I, I, just, I just wanted to see Cleveland get a championship. I don't know why. I don't have any affinity for Cleveland, but I just thought that was cool. And so, and so me and my boys, we were watching Game 7. I mean, it was a great game. Came down to the wire, and, and Cleveland won uh, the world championship. And so, of course, they're going to interview the man, uh, LeBron James, right? He's the, he's the leader of the team. He's the great megastar, best player in the world. And they're interviewing him, and, he, and, he, and he, he does that tip of the hat to God. Hey, first of all, before I start talking about my basketball game, I just want to, you know, thank the man upstairs. And then he goes on just talking about other stuff. And, and, and it, it just didn't, to me, of course, I, I can't see his heart, but it just didn't feel real authentic. Uh, you, you know, it didn't seem real reverent. You know, I, I don't like calling God the man upstairs. Um, it, you know, it just comes from maybe a, a, a lack of understanding of who God really is. Um, but, um, but he, you know, he's kind of just tipping his hat. David here, he's not tipping his hat, is he? I mean, David, I mean, he is just, he is just saturated with, with this desire to ascribe to God the worth that is due his name. This, this victory, this success, this mountaintop experience, instead of causing him to be forgetful about God, pushes him to want to praise God. And so it, it fueled his praise. And here's what victory should do for us. Victory should cause us to celebrate our great God. Victories should cause us to celebrate our great God. If there's something good that you've seen God do in your life, you ought to celebrate his goodness, right? You ought to praise the one who has done that good thing in your life. Victory fueled his praise. But there's a second way that David responded to victory. Not only did victory fuel his praise, but victory fueled his love for God. Victory fueled his love for God. Look what it says back in verse 1 of chapter 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now notice when he calls God here, O Lord, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the um, English designation uh, of the divine name, sometimes translated Yahweh. We don't know exactly how it's translated. The Hebrew text is literally 
four consonants, Y-H-W-H. And it's the divine name. The, uh, it comes from the verb of being, I am that I am, the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And this is, this is David being specific about the God that he worshipped. This is not some you know, generic sense of God, the man upstairs, I want to thank God. He's talking about a specific God, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant God of Israel. And so David here is it's very specific about the God that he is worshiping and the God that he loves. Look what he says, I love you, O Lord. Hey, quick question, quick question. When's the last time you told God you loved him? Good question, isn't it? When's the last time you said, I love you, Lord? I love you for what you've done for me and who you are. I love you. And and David here speaks of his love for God. Victory fueled his love for God. Now, how does this apply to us? And listen carefully. This is important. We should not love the gifts of God more than the giver of the gifts. Right? See, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves more excited about the gifts that God gives than he who is actually, in his grace, given us those things, right? We can get more excited about the benefits and blessings of knowing God than we do the, the fact that we know God. And, and, we, and we can miss the giver in the midst of success and blessing and victory. And so David doesn't do that, does he? David has great victory over his enemies that God has given him, and he doesn't, he doesn't miss the giver, does he? I love you, O oh Lord, I love you, oh Lord. Uh, it's always so meaningful to me when Claire and I, you know, we'll buy gifts for our children. And, and, uh, and it's always so meaningful. It's maybe something big and, and you see them get excited about the gift. And, and then they'll come and hug you. That feels so good. I mean, you know, if we just gave our kids gifts and they just ignored us, right? Um, and, and just never said thank you or care. You know, it, 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 would, feel, it, would, it would make us feel bad, right? But when, you're, when you give your child something special, something they've been asking for, and you surprise them, and they run to you and hug you, how does that feel, parents, grandparents? feels good, doesn't it? It feels really, really good. And, and, and that's what David, in effect, is doing here. In the midst of his victory and success, he says, I love you, Lord. I'm not going to miss the giver in the midst of all these gifts that I am Enjoying. And so victory fueled his love for God. Secondly, victory, oh, this is good. You ready? Victory fueled his dependence. Victory fueled his dependence. We don't see David, you know, sticking his chest out saying, Aren't I a great king? I have arrived. I'm a brilliant military strategist. No, no. David understands the only reason he is where he is, enjoying success and victory, is because of God. And it fuels his dependence upon the Lord. He realized that the victory could not be attributed to him. Look what he says in verse 4. The cords of death encompass me. Talking about his, his times running from his enemies. The cords of death encompass me. I mean, David came very close to death. Many, many times. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, the place of death, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. 
And the earth reeled and rocked. The fountains, also the mountains trembled. He's speaking poetically here of God's intervention in this situation. It says, The foundations also the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He's picturing God here as this, as this dragon that turns to, to set his attention on David's situation and comes to his rescue as a, as, a, as a God who's come to do business against David's enemies. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds, speaking dramatically of God's intervention in his situation. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Notice that. He's saying, he rescued me. My enemies were too mighty for me. I could not beat them in, in and of my own strength, my own wisdom. They were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And so David here is saying, listen, the reason I was delivered is because of God. God did it. I was totally dependent upon him. He realized the victory could not be attributed to him. And notice here a dominant metaphor for God in this psalm, the metaphor of God being a rock. Look what it says in verse 2. The Lord is my what? The Lord is my rock. Let's try it again. The Lord is my Okay, you with me? All right, now, fast forward down to verse 31. For who is God but the Lord, and, he is, and who is a what? Rock except our God. And then look down in verse 46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. And so we see this metaphor of God being a rock uh, throughout this psalm. It's the dominant metaphor. And the imagery of the rock conveys two things. Number one, it conveys that God is his refuge. He's saying, God is my refuge. That's what he says there in verse 2. Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's the one I go and hide in. Um, this, 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 uh, this metaphor and, and what it conveys really makes sense when you see where David hid from Saul. When uh, we went to Israel, uh, you sent us there, by the way, thank you. And we went to Israel, and one of the stops on the troops, we went to the caves of En Gedi, where uh, David hid from King Saul. And you, it's just rocks, isn't it? And, and he hid in those rocks. And he's saying, God's my rock. He's my hiding place. He's my fortress. He's the one that I go to hide in. He's the one that protects me from enemies. Charles Spurgeon says, Dwelling among the crags and mountains of Judea, David had escaped the malice of Saul. And here he compares his God to such a place of concealment and security. Believers are often hidden in their God from the strife of tongues and the fury of the storm of trouble. The clefts of the rock of ages are safe abodes. I like that. So it conveys that God is our refuge. But also David wanted to convey by saying God is my rock, that God is my sure foundation. Look in verse 18. He says, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He was my foundation. He, was, he supported me. He helped me to stand strong and to stand, stand safe. God is my sure foundation. 
It's what David conveys over in Psalm 40. Look over in Psalm 40 with me, verse 2. says about the Lord, he drew me from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And so when David uses this metaphor of God being a rock, he's speaking of God sheltering him, protecting him from enemies, being a a fortress, a refuge, and he's speaking of God being his foundation. He could stand uh, firm upon. And of course those things uh, convey that David was dependent upon God in the midst of his Troubles. And so here's the question for you, okay? This is where it gets back to us in this room. Do the mountaintops and victories of life humble you or do they make you proud? Do the mountaintops and victories of life humble you or make you proud? When you look back over things God has done in your life, you say, boy, I couldn't have done it without him. Or you begin to think, you know what? I kind of got it together. I'm doing a pretty good job, you know? Doing a pretty good job as a parent, as a husband, or a wife, or grandparents. Or, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job. I've, I've really watched my finances, and, and uh, you know, I'm in a healthy situation, and, and I've, I've saved up through the years, and I'm, I'm in a stable position, and things are good, and I serve the church, and, and you know, things are going pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. If you get to that place in your life, you're missing the point, aren't you? Success didn't fuel David's pride. It fueled his dependence. He looked back and said, my enemies would have flat overwhelmed me had it not been for God. Right? And so we need to to remember that victory should fuel our dependence, not our pride. Um, uh, Listen, if there's anything good in your life, all right, financially, in your family, uh, in your workplace, uh, anything good, it's grace, right? As I said in my sermon Sunday morning, the one word that summarizes my life and your life is undeserving, right? It's grace. If there's anything good in my life, it's grace. If there's anything good in your life, it's grace. And so victory should drive home that, yes, we are dependent upon God. We were dependent on the way he worked in the past, and we're dependent upon him moving forward. Here's the fourth thing. Victory fueled his prayer life. It fueled his prayer life. Look what he says in verse 3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am safe from my enemies. So David's saying, I called upon God. God answered my prayer. Now, to kind of show you a little comparison here, uh, look in chapter 17, verse 3. Chapter 17, verse 3. This is when David was surrounded by enemies. Jason touched on this when he taught. It says there uh, in verse 3, You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. You will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways uh, of the violent. Oh, I'm the wrong verse. Look at verse one. Hear a just verse one. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. So in chapter seventeen, surrounded by enemies, what's David do? He calls on God. Right. Chapter eighteen, he says, "I called on God. God answered. He delivered me." And so we see here that that David is remarking on how God answered his prayers. He moved in his prayer life. David recognized God's hand moving in his life in response to his prayers. So I guess what? 
I bet that based upon that, when David faced more hardship, what did he do? He probably prayed, right? When you look back over answered prayer, it fuels your dependence upon God in the present and moves you to pray and ask God for uh, help, his help in your life. So victory fueled his prayer life. Number five, victory fueled his desire for holiness. Look what it says in chapter 18, verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my what? What's it say there? Righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I've kept the ways of the Lord, have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me, he says it again, according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. So here's what David's saying. David's saying, God, I was trying to follow you and do the right thing and live the right way. And you responded to that. You blessed me. You rewarded me. And you came against those who were evil. And you gave me the victory in those situations. And so, here's what we learn from that. And this is so important. Those who ignore God's truth and standards should not expect his help. Right? David's saying, hey, the reason you helped me is because I was trying to be faithful. So, the opposite is, is, is true. If you ignore God, if you ignore his truth, if you ignore his commandments, you ignore his will and his way, don't expect God to come to your rescue, Right? They're saying the reason I could expect God to come to my rescue is because I was seeking to be faithful to him. So so victory here fuels his his recognition that it was holiness in his life that God responded to. And and, and that fueled his desire to be more holy. And so when you see God bless you for doing the right thing, when you see God bless you for following his commandments and and listening to his voice and and following his lead, that should fuel you to want to follow him some more, right? To, to live a holy life. So he will respond in that way by coming to meet your, uh, your, your needs. Uh, over in Psalm 66, the Bible says, I think it's Psalm 66. Don't check me out. Uh, but I think it's Psalm 66, and I'm not sure what the verse is. But somewhere in there it says that if we regard iniquity in our heart, God will not hear. Right? Hey, God, help! The Lord looks and said, well, what are you doing with your life? Have you been ignoring me? Or have you been seeking to follow me and, and grow in the ways of the Lord? Um, it's almost like, you know, if, if I told one of my kids, hey, clean your room. And they totally blow me off, right? They said, forget that. I'm not cleaning my, my room. I'm not even going to lift a finger. And then a couple hours later, I walk by the door and look in. Haven't touched a thing. And then that kid comes to me and says, Hey, uh, hey, Dad, I need uh, 20 bucks. I guess I want to go buy at Walmart. Now, what am I going to say? Why don't you do what I told you to do, and then come back and we'll talk about the 20 bucks. Right? I mean, you're not just going to ignore me and then expect me to bless. It's not how it works. But sometimes it's how we treat God, right? You know, we ignore God, we get in trouble, and we say, Uh-oh, Help! And God's saying, why don't you give attention to what I've called you to do? Why don't you give attention to my word and my will and my way and my leadership in your life? David recognizes. 
Hey, those that were opposed to you, you didn't come to their rescue. You came to my rescue because I was seeking to live a life of integrity. So victory fueled that recognition, that desire for holiness. Number six, victory fueled his gratitude for the nearness of God. It fueled his gratitude for the nearness of God. Look what it says in verse 31. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. Your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. So he's saying, God, you are near. You, if I was successful in a battle, if I had skill in a battle, you gave it to me. You're the one that delivered me. You're the one that put me on a level ground. You're the one that helped me. You were near to me every step of the way. So Victor here is fueling his gratitude for the nearness of God. And here's what we should learn from that. You and I should be grateful for God's investment in our lives. Aren't you glad tonight that God will never leave you nor forsake you? His presence is unfailing. His mercies are new every morning. He never takes a day off. And guess what? The Bible says when you're sleeping at night, He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's watching over you then. He is intricately and intimately involved in your life. He knows how many hairs are on your head. The Bible says in Psalm 53 that he captures our tears in a bottle. He knows what's behind every tear that you shed. And he cares. He knows your name. Seven billion plus people on the earth. He knows you by name. He cares about the daily details of your life. He cares about the big picture issues of your life. In Christ, he has drawn near to you. And David's here saying, thank you, God, for your equipping, for your encouragement, for your deliverance, for your help. Thank you for being near to me. It's almost like David's saying, thank you for caring about little old me and this This victory fueled his gratitude for the nearness of God. So when you're enjoying success, when you're enjoying the mountaintop, mountaintops are good, they're good. And you're just basking in in victory, you're basking in blessing. Look back and say, God, I'm so grateful that every step of the way that has brought me here, you were near. You never leave me, nor Forsake me. I can look back and I see valleys. And, and even when I was walking those valleys, you, you were there with me and, and helping me every step of the way. Victory fueled his gratitude for the nearness of God. So let me just tell you, I just the other, other day I was in my vehicle driving. And, and this happens to me, I don't know, every, I, I don't know how often, uh, every few years maybe where I just have this kind of overwhelming uh, moment of just, of just how blessed I am. I, I, I mean, just, it's like almost an emotional type deal that happens with me. 
And, and I'm, I'm, I try to live with gratitude. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I just totally ignore God's blessings in my life. I'm just saying there are these certain moments in my life where just, I don't know, it's just the Lord working, spirit stirring, whatever it is. But these, these moments where I just kind of almost kind of get a little overcome with God's goodness in my life. You ever been there? You ever had that happen to you? Um, and and it, was, it was just kind of, it was just this kind of moment. It was a Psalm 18 kind of moment for me. Um, life's not perfect, life is hard, I have challenges, you have challenges. But I was just thinking about all the different ways God has blessed me. And I could just stand up here and just sh- all night share the, the blessings of God, the victories of God and, and, and all of that. And, and I was just, just kind of overwhelmed just for a moment, just driving. Just, it was just, I think I was listening, I don't even know what song I was listening to. I was listening to a song and, and, uh, and I, just, I, was just, I, was just, I just felt so blessed. And, and I was just grateful for God's nearness in my life. So that's number six. Number seven, victory fueled his comprehension of God's greater purposes. And this is key. If you don't get this, you don't, you're not really getting the point of the psalm. So we don't want to miss the entire point, right? Okay? This psalm has a point. And uh, as David realizes how good God has been to him, he realizes, he kind of steps back and looks at the big picture and realizes God has something bigger going on in human history, in redemptive history, than just David's life. Okay? He's working through David's life, but he has a bigger, uh, a bigger target that, that he's aiming for. And look what David says down in verse 49. Look at the end of the, the psalm. Verse 49. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. And so this psalm has a messianic emphasis because David, I'm sorry, Paul takes this, this psalm, this verse, and applies it to Jesus over in Romans 15. Uh, speaking of Jesus being not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And he quotes uh, Psalm 18, verse 49. So there's a messianic overtone here. And look what David does in verse 50. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast to his anointed. But then we'll look what he says. To David, yes, to David, little old David, but not just David. Look what he says next. To his offspring forever. They said, he's showing blessing to me. Ultimately, so he can show blessing to my offspring. Now, why would David say that? Why is David just kind of, you know, just kind of just self-centered, in a self-centered way, think about his own family? No. He's referring here to a promise that God had made to him over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me show you that promise. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7, what it says in verse 12. The Lord speaking here to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. We say, well, he's talking about Solomon, right? Because Solomon came next and, and he established his kingdom. Well, he's talking about Solomon, but more than just Solomon, because keep reading. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom, Solomon, forever. So you're not talking about Solomon, just Solomon, because Solomon's not around anymore, right? So how is the kingdom of David and Solomon a forever kingdom? Well, look what it says next. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne, speaking to David, shall be established forever. 
He's saying to David, from your lineage, there's going to come a king who will be a forever king. And of course, he's talking about the one who came from the lineage of David, King Jesus, who came to this earth through the virgin birth, incarnation, left the splendor of heaven, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died for the sins of humanity, was buried in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he rose from the grave, defeated death itself. And because of his obedience to the point of death, it says in Philippians 2 that God the Father has highly exalted him, Jesus giving him a name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so when the dust settles on human history, there will be one king reigning over it all. His name is Jesus. Jesus and his kingdom will go on forever and ever and ever, the lineage of David. And so here in 2 Samuel 7, God's promising there will be a forever king that was fulfilled in Jesus, is being fulfilled in Jesus. And so back in Psalm 18, David remembers that. See, God, you've blessed David, but you're not just blessing David, you're blessing his offspring forever. You're setting up an eternal kingdom. And so David here recognizes the big picture. A theologian named H.C. Leupold says this, David was given victory to make possible the greater victories of his greater son. Speaking of King Jesus. And so David here mentions the Davidic covenant which was fulfilled in Christ. Theologians call that promise in 2 Samuel the Davidic covenant. Or you just say the promise to David if you don't want to be fancy. But Davidic covenant sounds so much more impressive, right? And so, speaking of the the Davidic covenant, and and David here mentions the Davidic covenant at the end of Psalm 18. David's saying, yes, God, you've blessed me, David, individually, but you've done it for a purpose. You've done it to establish a kingdom which will go on forever, fulfilled in the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? And so David recognizes the greater purpose. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, if you look there in your notes... We should recognize, just like David did, that God has a larger purpose for our blessings and victories. We should recognize that God has a larger purpose for our blessings and victories. Look over in Psalm 67 with me. We'll get to the psalm eventually. Psalm 67. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Selah. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the psalmist here is, is interested in the peoples, all the peoples of the earth, coming to give the one true God the worship that he alone deserves. And look what he says in the next verse. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Why? Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You know what the psalmist is saying here? God has blessed us so we can be a blessing. That's what he's saying. And even a little bit more specific, God has blessed us for world evangelization. <laughs> you know what it's saying? God has blessed us with, with prosperity, with 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 deliverance, with success, with mountaintops, so that we can in turn be a blessing to others, ultimately a blessing to the nations by getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? And so what if we thought about our life like that? 
my mountaintop is not just for me. How does God want to use my mountaintop for others? How does God want to take my blessing and use it for his greater purposes? To, to make much of King Jesus, who is, who is working through his church to get the gospel to the very ends of the earth. David recognizes here in Psalm 18, God's greater purpose. It wasn't ultimately about David, it was about the king of kings who had come through the lineage of David. And when it comes to our blessing, when it comes to our mountaintops, when it comes to our victories, listen to me, this is so important. It's not ultimately about us, is it? It's not about us. We're just here for a a brief time. And our job is to make much of our great God who has done so much to bring forgiveness and freedom and life to a lost and dying world. Uh, Jason and I, you're going to have to help remember, we are talking about a quote this past week, and uh, it comes from a, really a pioneer in, in uh, uh, global uh, missions from the, the Hearn Hut uh, community, um, and his name was Zinzendorf, Count Van Zinzendorf. And, and Zinzendorf made this statement, and, and, and this is kind of a paraphrase, but he basically said... Um, how do you say it? Live your life, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. How you said it? Something like that. That's the gist of it. But basically, hey, uh, you know, you have a short time span. Make the most of it for Jesus. The, the resources. Be a steward of what God has done in your life and done for you. And then, hey, you pass off the scene. You step in eternity, and you're going to be forgotten. But make the most of your life. Right? You're blessed to be a blessing. Consider, when you experience victory like David does, praise him, thank him, let your heart be filled with gratitude. He cares about you, he knows your name, he knows the hairs on your head. But consider the bigger picture. Consider what God wants to do through you. Alright? Psalm 18, I love it. What a beautiful psalm. And hey, real quick aside before we pray and close. Uh, if you're looking for ways to praise God, you say, wait, my prayer life's gotten stale. Um... You know, I, I say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for blessing me. But I've really kind of, kind of, I'm having a hard time communicating my, my, my heart to God. Well, just take Psalm 18. Just take those first three verses. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am safe from my enemies. Just take those words and pray them to God, right? I'm telling you, praying the Psalms will really enhance your prayer life. They'll make your prayer life exciting and they'll energize things because instead of just saying the same old thing about the same old thing, you are taking the words of God and saying them back to God and you're taking a biblical vocabulary which helps you to articulate what's on your heart and your mind and and really talk to God in exciting ways. So, hey, if you're looking for some fresh uh, material to praise God with, Psalm 18.